Well, if you return uh, with me in your Bibles to Amos uh, chapter 7, Amos chapter 7, and we're going to look this evening at verses 10 uh, to 17. Uh, so in the church Bibles, in the green Bibles, that's page 923, and in the large print Bibles, 1433. Uh, one thing that's uh, really lovely uh, today that we had this morning uh, uh, Richard speaking about the Word of God going out uh, and being translated. Uh, and I didn't know uh, what Richard was going to speak on. Uh, I come to Amos chapter 7 as the next passage in the series on Amos, uh, but this just dovetails so lovely uh, with what was said this morning because here we see uh, the challenge of what happens when God's word does go out into the world and the opposition that that faces, just like we read in Acts chapter 5. Uh, so I'm going to read uh, to you now Acts cha uh, Amos chapter 7 uh, from verse 10 uh, down to verse 17. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words, for this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there, and do, not do your prophecy, prophesying there. <clears throat> Don't prophesy any more at Bethel. Because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now then, hear the word of the Lord. You say... Do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up and your country will die in a pagan, you yourself will die in a pagan country. And Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. This is God's word. And what we see in Amos chapter 7 is a battle between Amaziah and Amos. And what we're going to see is this really is an age-old battle. Uh, in 1563, one of the most read books in the history of the Christian church was published this is the name of the book when it was published, and in those days they had long titles for their books, not punchy ones. It was called Acts and Monuments of These Latter and Perilous Days, Touching Matters of the Church. But it's more popularly, popularly known today as Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's nothing to do with foxes, it's the fact that John Fox uh, was the author and it tells the stories of Christians who proclaimed God's word and had been killed, martyred, 
at his time by the authorities of the Roman Catholic Church. It describes the boldness of Christians who were willing to speak the truth of God's word to the authorities of their day, even though it meant their death. They were, and many Christians before and since, were from the same mold as the prophet Amos. And the challenge of this passage in Amos chapter 7 is to ask ourselves this. Are we willing to proclaim the truth of God's word in our day, even though it will mean opposition? Are we willing to proclaim the truth of God in our day, even though it will mean opposition? And whilst most of us here probably in our country won't face martyrdom, there is a universal truth that comes up in God's word over and over. When a Christian is effectively serving God, there will be opposition and trial of some kind. So Jesus has said, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And Paul the Apostle writes to Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so that does beg the question, if we're not facing any opposition in our life at all for Christ, are we living a godly life? As we live out and speak out God's word, we will face opposition. And in this passage, we see what that opposition is, and we see how we are to respond to it. So last time, uh, last week, when we looked at uh, Amos, we saw the vision of the plumb line. The plumb line was a measure of the people, comparing them against God's word. And the people of Israel are found not to measure up to God's plumb line. The prophet has shown that they have hypocritical religion and idolatrous worship. They are not living according to the word of God. And this section, the verses we read a moment ago, come off the back of that vision of them not measuring up to God's word, and it shows us how they are not measuring up or why. They are not measuring up because they are rejecting God's word. They don't want to hear it. And this is seen through the two principal characters, Amaziah, who represents Israel, and Amos, who represents God. And this battle continues today as the church represent God, and those who oppose God contend against his word by opposing his people. So first of all, in this passage, we see the opponents of God's word will attack. The opponents of God's word will attack. Uh, verse 9 ended by speaking of the judgment of the sanctuaries of Israel and the house of Jeroboam. And verse 10 follows on from that by introducing us to the representatives of those two institutions. Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, the sanctuary of Israel, and Jeroboam, the king of Israel. 
And these people are contending against Amos, who's representing God, the one who's speaking his word. And Amaziah tells the king that Amos is raising a conspiracy. Now, we'll consider in a moment how this misrepresents what Amos is doing. But before we do that, notice the underlying problem at the end of verse 10. Look at what it says there. The land cannot bear his words. The land cannot bear all his words. The people of Israel, in other words, just cannot stand what's being said by Amos. They just can't stand it. They don't want to hear it. They hate everything that he's representing, everything he's saying. The word of God here is objectionable. It is offensive. In their minds, it needs to be silenced. The word of God is unwanted by the people of Israel. And the reason is because God's word is calling them out against their immoral living and is calling them to repentance. And we see the same thing, don't we, in our world today? Can we not say in our day that our land cannot bear the word of God? It cannot bear what God has to say about so many things. It cannot bear what God has to teach about marriage and sexuality and gender and abortion and materialism and and basically about sin in general and calling anybody a sinner. People cannot bear it when you speak against those things. They cannot bear it when you say you have to repent and turn to God, that he is the only way. And in responding to being unable to bear it, the world responds very much like Amaziah does in this chapter. And there are two ways that Amaziah attacks Amos that we see today. There's misrepresentation and intimidation. So first of all, misrepresentation. We see this really in verses 10 to 12. Uh, In verse 11, the message is misrepresented. The message is misrepresented. So first of all, he misrepresents the speaker of the message. Notice what he says, uh, who is speaking here. He says, for this is what Amos is saying. Now, throughout this prophecy, over the last six and a half chapters, we've never really heard Amos says, this is what I say. This is my opinion. Over and over, Amos has said, this is what the Lord says. In chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, this is the Lord roaring from Zion. Over and over, this is what God says. So he's misrepresented by saying, this is just your opinion, Amos. This, this is, this is your, your, what, your interpretation of things. This is just what you think. This is a nice way for you to live, but it doesn't really impact me. You see? So he's misrepresented as the speaker of the message, but notice also the substance of his message is misrepresented. So in verse 10, Amos, uh, Amaziah sorry, said that there was a conspiracy against the king. So the message of Amos isn't presented as the word of God calling people to repent. It's misrepresented as a conspiracy against the king of Israel. The words Amaziah uses are, are what Amos has said, 
But rather than explaining this as a judgment from God coming upon an unrepentant people, it is spun as a conspiracy to overthrow Jeroboam. And King Jeroboam would have good reason to worry about a a political conspiracy. He was from the dynasty of Jehu who took the throne by a conspiracy. Kings in those days, like many politicians in our days, were very worried about political conspiracies. But Amos wasn't a political conspirer. He was a proclaimer of God's word. And so his message is misrepresented. But notice also how Amos's motive is misrepresented. Look at verse 12. His motive is misrepresented here. Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Do you notice what Amaziah is saying about Amos' motive here? He's saying, Amos, you're only here because you can earn more money in the north than in the south. Go and earn your money down there rather than coming up and fleecing us. Amos wasn't in this for the money. We'll see in a moment that he would have lost money as a businessman by leaving his business in the south and coming to the north. Misrepresentation is a tactic that is often used by those contending against the word of God. Jesus Christ had his message misrepresented in exactly the same way, didn't he? He was accused of wanting to destroy the temple in Jerusalem. And he was accused of encouraging insurrection by not paying taxes to Caesar. Both of these accusations misrepresented what Jesus was actually saying. And today we can be misrepresented. We can be accused of being homophobic. Churches can be accused of being after money. We can be accused of just wanting to spoil people's fun or being politically motivated. Now sadly, some people claiming to be Christians have been these things, which doesn't help us at all. But don't be surprised when these kind of misrepresentations about you and about the message we proclaim, get bounded about. What's really frustrating, you may notice this from time to time, is that often when Christians are represented on the radio in public, they often get the Christians that do misrepresent the truth. That really makes me angry when I listen to, I have to turn the radio off when those kind of things happen. And it's so sad that so often it's the religious authorities that are the contentious people against the word of God. And some of the members of our church have in the past been hounded out of churches because of their stance on the authority of the Word of God. So sometimes we will face misrepresentation, but at other times we'll experience what we see in verse 13, which is intimidation. Look at how Amaziah intimidates Amos in verse 13. Don't prophesy any more at Bethel, because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. So here we see a call to stop preaching. Notice what Amaziah uh, is saying. It's the king's sanctuary. In other words, Amaziah is claiming the authority of the king to put a stop to Amos. He's saying, Amos, if you keep going here in the king's place... You could get into a lot of trouble 
for speaking God's word. If you don't stop Amos, there's problems for you. It's intimidation. And again, we've seen that in the life of Jesus, but we saw it very clearly, didn't we, when we read Acts chapter 5, where Peter and John were preaching and they were brought before the religious leaders. And look at what is said. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty by this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Do you see there in Acts the intimidation? You've got to stop this, Peter and John. And Peter and John are heroes here, aren't they? Just like Amos and just like many Christians in the past and many Christians in the world today who take their stand and say we will obey God rather than men. And we also may face intimidation. Some of us have experienced our families threatening to cut us off or to let us know how upset they are with us for our following Jesus Christ. Some of you have experienced that. Your workplaces may threaten you with not being promoted. And at school, you may be threatened with being teased or beat up if you stand up for Jesus Christ. And in many countries in the world today, Christians are threatened with imprisonment and death, threats which are very often carried out. Even this morning, Richard showed us a red zone in Mali where it's dangerous for Christians to go. And yet Christians do go there, don't they? Amos versus Amaziah is a battle that represents the age-old battle between the forces of evil against the word of God. And the word of God was un, is unwanted by a people who are standing against it. And if we are effectively serving God, we will face, to some degree, opposition and trial in our lives. And what is most sad about this situation is that Amaziah is trying to silence the very man who, last week we saw, was pleading with God on their behalf for God to have mercy. Amos's motive was not money. Amos's motive was not to just try and wind people up and cause arguments. Amos's motive was that his people would turn back to God and avoid his judgment. So what can keep us going as we face these attacks? Well, Amos's response shows us how we can keep going. He shows us that he's secure in his calling and he's confident in the power of God's word. And our second point shows us that security. We see here that the proclaimers of God's word have God's authority. The proclaimers of God's word have God's authority. So in verse 14, we see Amos beginning to respond to Amaziah. We read that Amos answered him. Now, it's interesting to note that in Amos's defense, he uses the pronoun I a number of times, I. And the reason it's interesting is because in the Hebrew, the word for I sounds very similar to the word for plumb line. 
And Amos is being shown here not to be a conspiracy theorist after money, but rather he's the bringer of God's word, the plumb line, which is the measure for Israel and their judgment. Amos is the one who, with God's authority, is showing them that they don't measure up to the true word of God. And in verse 14, Amos explains how he came to be a prophet in Israel. He wasn't a professional prophet. He he didn't go to prophet school, if such a thing existed. He wasn't born into a family of, of prophets. He was rather a businessman. Uh, The word here for shepherd, it is different actually from the word for shepherd that means to care uh, for a flock of sheep. Rather, it means someone who managed shepherds or bred sheep that would be cared for by other shepherds. In other words, he was like a a sheep mogul, if such a thing uh, makes sense. But he also diversified his business into caring for sycamore fig trees. And that's important to note because Amos was not after money. His motive didn't need to be that. He had probably plenty of it. In fact, in going to Israel, he was leaving his business behind. And in verse 15, he explains his call. Look at what it says. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. He was happy, it seemed, in his business with the sheep and the trees, but the Lord took him. Notice that, the Lord took him. And the Lord was the one that told him to go north and prophesy. And so Amos is saying here that he brings not his own personal vendetta against Israel, but rather God has given him a message that he has to deliver. He is given God's authority. He's going in God's name. God called him. In uh, our country, certain products have this mark on it. It is a royal warrant. And the royal warrant is a stamp of royal approval of a product. That means that that product is used by the royal household... And the queen, or someone in her family, gives the thumbs up to this product being good. Uh, I have an umbrella with the royal warrant. Unfortunately, it broke. (laughs) So I don't think the royal warrant is all it's cracked up to be. But the royal warrant does show the approval of the monarch. And as God's messengers today, Christians are given the royal warrant of the king of kings. This passage is not just talking about prophets or pastors. In the New Testament, Paul the Apostle says that we all are Christ's ambassadors. We all have this royal warrant from the King of Kings, the stamp of royal approval and royal authority to proclaim God's word to our world. Jesus Christ himself was set apart for service He is the word of God. At his baptism, he was anointed by the Spirit and declared to be well-pleasing to the Father. And Jesus himself calls his disciples to be his messengers. 
But what I want you to notice with Jesus' disciples, he didn't either call professional orators. He didn't go to the the top uh, synagogue of his day and call out the best ones. He didn't call the high and mighty. He called fishermen and tax collectors to be his followers. People just like Amos and people just like you and me. And the word church in the New Testament means called out ones. Each of us have been called by God to be part of his kingdom and to be his messengers to our world. That does not mean all of us are preachers in the formal sense of the word, but it does mean that every single one of us as Christians are called to be his ambassadors, to represent Jesus. You don't have to be a prophet or the son of a prophet or a pastor or the son of a pastor. You have been called into God's kingdom by his grace. You have been given his spirit as his seal. And by the power of his spirit, you are able to proclaim God's truth to our world in your life and in your words. And if this is true, which it is, then we should note Amos's priority in his life here. It is the divine voice that Amos heeds, not Amaziah's. Notice that in this passage. Amos obeys God rather than men. When Amaziah said, you're in the king's sanctuary, Amos didn't run away. When Amaziah twisted Amos's words, he didn't pack his bags and go home. He knew he had God's authority, he had God's approval, he spoke God's truth even when he was opposed. And brothers and sisters, can't we find that difficult to heed God's voice rather than man's voice? I find it very difficult myself to speak to my family about Jesus Christ when they don't want to hear it. I find that hard. And I have to really work hard and pray hard that God would enable me to obey God's voice and speak God's word rather than be a coward, which is far easier. Young people find it particularly difficult in school to stand for Jesus Christ. It's hard there. Where do you find it most difficult to be Christ's ambassador? Where is it that you feel like you want to run away and hide? Remember, you have God's royal seal upon you. You are his ambassador. That should help us to speak the truth. But another help for us is found in the last verses of Amos chapter 7. And that is our third point. Remembering that the purposes of God's word are always accomplished. In verse 16, Amos continues with his common phrase, Hear the word of the Lord. And if you think about it, the phrase, Hear this word, which means this word, or says the Lord, has been repeated by Amos over and over and over and over again. The message is relentless. Amos doesn't stop. And here, despite misrepresentation and intimidation, he carries on. And you have to admire that, don't you, about him. 
And he compares the words of Amaziah with the word of the Lord. Look at verse 16. You say, notice that, you say, Amaziah, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Notice that contrast. You say, therefore, this is what the Lord says. Amos does not stop in his prophesying, and the Lord does not stop fulfilling what Amos prophesies. Amaziah does not want to hear the message, but nevertheless, Amaziah will face God's judgment. Closing your ears to God's word, yelling at the messenger to stop, will not change the reality of what the Lord will do. Look at verse 17. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up, and you yourself will die in a pagan country. What we have here is a description of the devastation that will come upon Amaziah's family. His wife will become a prostitute, probably because she can think of no other way of supporting herself, so she'll be defiled. His children will be killed. In other words, his line will be wiped out. Uh, His land will be divided up, so his inheritance is lost. And finally, he'll die in a pagan country where he cannot fulfill his priestly duties because the country he is in is defiled and doesn't even believe in the gods that he believes in. In other words, Amaziah will lose everything. And that's the reality of the judgment of God upon those who ignore his word. They lose everything. And then notice the end of verse 17. And Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. Now those words should sound familiar because they're the exact same words as verse 11. Amaziah said that Amos was saying these words, and Amos was saying these words. Amaziah may have been misrepresenting those words, but it doesn't mean that the true meaning of those words is not true. The message can be twisted by people like Amaziah, but the reality of those words, the reality of the word of God is unstoppable. It will come to pass. You can try to silence God's prophet. You can try to misrepresent God's words, but you cannot stop the word of God. It is unstoppable. And sure enough, Israel did go into exile from their native land. The Assyrians came and did just what Amos had said. God's word came to pass. It is unstoppable. The purposes of God's word are always accomplished. As much as Amaziah tried to shut Amos up, God's word came true, and it always does. Again, we've seen this in the life of Jesus Christ. His death may have appeared to be in the control of wicked men, but actually, it was the unstoppable plan of God, was it not, for Jesus to die so that he would rise again from the dead, just as he said he would. 
the death of Jesus did not stop the purposes of God. That's what the wicked men were trying to do. The death of Jesus was the purpose of God. The sovereign plan of God continues on despite man's best efforts to put that plan to an end. Man often tries to silence the word of God, but it is unstoppable. Just take, for example, the country of China. Christianity was banned in China for decades. Missionaries were expelled. The word of God was not allowed. But even during that time, many, many people became Christians. And today, there are probably more Christians in China than in any other country in the world. No matter what the evil uh, evil forces of this world try to do to stop God's word, nothing will stop it. His purposes are always accomplished. And again, I wrote this sermon before this afternoon. Uh, So this morning when we quote, we read Isaiah 55 at the beginning of the service. Um, I didn't know that was going to happen, but here it is again. It speaks so perfectly to this point. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purposes for which I sent it. Brothers and sisters, may each of us proclaim the gospel faithfully despite the attacks that come our way. And may we do that knowing that our authority and calling is from God himself and knowing that his word that we are proclaiming is unstoppable. It will fulfill his purposes. And sometimes we may not see what those purposes are. It might look to us as if it is failing. But that's exactly what the disciples saw when Jesus was dying on the cross. And yet the third day, he rose from the dead. Well, we're going to respond uh, by, first of all, singing. Uh, And then after we've sung, we're going to have just some time to apply the words we've just heard uh, to our lives and pray together. But the first song we're going to sing uh, is one that was written by Martin Luther uh, hundreds of years ago, uh, which speaks about this battle uh, between uh, the enemy uh, and God's people. Uh, But Luther writes that God's word is it victorious in the end. Let's stand together and sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God.
please uh, take your seats. And let's just have uh, just a moment to uh, just think these things through. I've got some questions on the, the screen there just to think through uh, as we uh, just respond to God's word. So first of all, in what situations do I avoid speaking God's word? And secondly, how can you remind yourself of your calling and of the power of God's word to help you? And then thirdly, perhaps you can think, who can you share the gospel with this week? So I'll give you just a couple of minutes to think through uh, those questions. You can pray uh, and respond uh, in that way, and then I'll lead us in prayer before we stand and sing our closing hymn. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you are the unfailing and unstoppable God. We thank you that we can trust your every word and that you have given us the privilege of being your ambassadors. We want to say that we are sorry for the times that we have not spoken your word where we can. We are sorry for when we have not represented you well. And we ask for your forgiveness. And we know that we can be forgiven because Jesus has died in our place for our sins and is risen from the dead. And we thank you that this is true. Thank you that your plan for our salvation is unfailing and unstoppable. And we pray for this, ev this evening for your help uh, to proclaim your word to our world. Help us to be bold by the power of your spirit. Help us to believe in our hearts that we truly are your ambassadors. Help us to believe in our hearts that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who would believe. Deliver us from cowardice. Deliver us from sin that would ruin our testimony. We also take time this evening to pray for brothers and sisters in our world who face very severe persecution for believing in you. Uh, we especially today think of those uh, in Mali who we heard of this morning going into that red zone that our brother Richard mentioned. Help them to be wise and to be bold. And we pray that your word would go out into those people groups so that people in Mali, in the whole of that country, can know Jesus through your word. We pray that you would bring much fruit from the Bible being on smartphones, especially in countries where it is illegal to own a Bible. We pray that your Holy Spirit would work powerfully across our world in countries where Christians are not allowed to proclaim your word, that people there would be brought to faith by the unstoppable gospel. And we pray this with confidence because we know that you are a God whose purposes will always be fulfilled. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's close by standing together and singing, uh, Hear the Call of the Kingdom.
if anyone wants to stay afterwards and have coffee, you're very welcome to do that. Let's encourage each other in uh, our faith in Jesus and in talking to others about him. If we can't talk about Christ to one another, uh, then there's no way we can talk to him uh, about him to others, is there? So let's exalt Christ together. Let me close with these words. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen.